broadcasting from the road in Cortez, Colorado. This is Campus Rich Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 24 is Theism Coherent. Welcome, everybody, to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com. If you want to uh, get some information on what we have going on, we've we got a bunch of podcasts. We're blowing up, taking over uh, the Christian broadcasting world, and I'm doing my little slice each week on the Campus Future Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. And uh, this week, we're going to uh, brush on issue... Uh, on the coherence of theism. It's going to be the introduction. And so the, the basic idea is whether or not the omni-attributes of God, what his omnipotence and his omni-benevolence uh, and his omniscience, whether those um, add up to a coherent picture of reality or if they're internally inconsistent and therefore negating uh, you know, kind of classical theism or the God of the Bible. And so I want to uh, develop those things because I think there's a Christian aspect to addressing those questions um, rather than just a, an abstract philosophical aspect of addressing uh, God's omnipotence, which just deals with him having all power, uh, his omniscience dealing with him ha- having all knowledge, as um, well as his omnibenevolence, which ties into the problem of evil. And so I think it will be helpful to develop each of those. And so uh, I'm going to introduce the topic this week. Uh, and then next week, we're going to look at the omnipotence. The week after that, we're going to look at omniscience. And the week after that, we're going to um, look at his omnibenevolence or kind of brush on uh, the problem of evil um, in light of these omni-attributes. Um, but before I introduce that topic, I am in Cortez, Colorado. And tomorrow, I will be in Durango, Colorado. And the reason I will be in Durango is because two years ago, I preached at uh, Fort Lewis College there, and uh, the the place went a little bonkers, a little haywire. And I think if you Google Keith Darrell Fort Lewis College, um, there might even be footage of me having coffee dumped on me or thrown on me, however you want to put it. But uh, I was standing there preaching, and some kid comes in with... uh, uh, some a cup of coffee, and for the most part, I would say you know ninety five percent of the coffee missed me. A little bit of it got on me, and um, the kid ended up getting arrested. And what was kind of interesting was about six months later, I ended up getting this pseudo apology uh, letter in the mail. But uh, the uh, before I so I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about that day because there's a, uh, several things that ties into last week's podcast. So if you listened, if you haven't listened to last week's, go back listen to last week, and it's basically. Um, addressing the idea of why we are in a world of pluralism. Now, obviously, it's because sin has entered the picture, but also I believe that Deuteronomy 32, um, verses 8 and 9, basically teaches that at the Tower of Babel, God divided the nations and handed some of the nations over to the sons of God or to other Elohim. Um, And so in the Old Testament, uh, the term for God is just Elohim. And so there are myriads of Elohim. So even when God redeems Israelites up out of Egypt, he conquers all the Elohim of Egypt. And so the reality of it is, I believe there are kind of other gods. Um, I'm comfortable using that language, other Elohim. And, or we, we, we often reduce them down to demons, but I think it's a little bit more complex than that, and we're going to develop that. Um, but that topic, um, the idea that there's other gods, and I think that those rulers and powers and principalities that Paul tells us that we wrestle against is all intertwined with that. And uh, two years ago, I preached at Fort Lewis College, and it got a little haywire. And after it got a little haywire... Um, uh, as I mentioned, a student got arrested, and 
um, even the next day, they end up having a protest against me where, you know, like no fascists and intolerant, no intolerance on campus and uh, basically questioning free speech and stuff like that. But there are um, several different aspects that happened. Uh, first, first of all, one thing that's pretty interesting was coming out of that day was a number of inquiries I had from students. So it's a smaller school. Um, I don't know how many uh, kids I had during that day. And what was f- fascinating to me was it was basically started off slow. The first hour, really tough getting a crowd. And then, so let's just say that's noon to one, pretty tough getting a crowd. Then at one o'clock to three o'clock, one, yeah, one o'clock to maybe 2.30, uh, decent crowd, really good interaction. And around 2.30, um, if you remember that girl a few years ago who was a little bit of a internet phenomenon, a cash mouse, ha, how about that? Uh, assuming that sounds a little bit like her, cash mouse, ha, how about that? So that a girl a lot like that basically showed up. And she asked me a question about, um, and there's a lot of Native Americans in this area, and so she asked me whether or not I thought Native Americans um, worship the true God, and I said no. And what was interesting to me is she wanted to take that as a racist comment, and that I was speaking against people of color at that point. And th- there are a bunch of things I could address. That, that, it, that was one of those days that just made me realize um, – that even like rhetoric, like people of color, um, it was it was funny that suddenly you know I'm, I'm talking against everybody. Somehow Christianity is a white man's religion, and uh, to say that's true, um, you're actually talking against all of the races, and um, that it stood out a little bit more. Um, some of the aspects uh, of even you know the, a lot of the racial discussion within the church and whiteness and all that sort of stuff. That 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 day, some of that stuff began to stick out a little bit. And also the reality, and you even see it with the alt-right, was the yoking of kind of culture and gods and race into a tight bundle that I would say in turn just creates conflict. Um, because Especially, at least it's going to create conflict from a Christian standpoint because we're going to stand up and say, nope, there's one true living God and every nation owes their allegiance to him. And at least some people in the world are going to want to make Christianity a white man or a European religion. And therefore, there's uh, racial undertones to it. And that's why I do believe that in part the media uh, uses white evangelicals all the time, because we need a racial component. If it's just, if it, if it, if it's just a debate about God and it's a, a discussion over the what, what does a text say? Um, we're going to lose some of the racial components, the underlying racial components, uh, not completely by any stretch of the imagination because you have Jew and Gentile issues going on and you have the nations and stuff like that. But that day, it really began to stand out that um, this is intertwined in people's thinking, especially uh, younger people's, and especially intertwined with that, how they're being taught what the, even what the nature of truth is and what the nature of religions are. And, um, but coming out of that day, there were a bunch of students that actually contacted me. It was, it was probably the most students, especially for a smaller school, that I've ever been emailed and contacted with of people wanting more information and wanting to learn more. And unfortunately, a lot of the uh, discussions uh, fell by the wayside after a period of time. Um, I, I can think of one girl particularly who seemed very zealous and honest, um, but then I ended up um, you know, seeing her comment about, uh, you know, not, not allowing hate speech on campus and stuff like that. And there are a couple other young men that I was able to interact with uh, quite a bit. But one of the reasons of, um, well, I'm, I was planning on coming through Colorado anyway, but uh, there was a woman who actually emailed me and here was her 
uh, initial email actually two years ago. It just says, uh, good afternoon. I hear that you are touring Colorado right now and that you had a little altercation on campus. I'm a community member and a queer Christian. I would love to meet with you next time you come through town. Uh, there are ample coffee shops for us to choose from and sit and chat. So uh, since I was coming back through uh, this area in Durango, Colorado, I reached out to um, this woman, and we're going to be meeting tomorrow. So if you get this, um, if you happen to list this before 11 o'clock, uh, mountain time. Uh, that's when we're going to be meeting. Uh, we, I would greatly appreciate your prayers. I'm not going to mention her name. I doubt she'll ever listen to this, but uh, you know, just for a certain level of anonymity for her, um, uh, we'll just call her B because that's, that's what her name starts with. So if you think of praying for B uh, and for me and just wisdom and clarity on uh, you know someone who self-identifies as a queer Christian and what that looks like and how we are to interact. I would greatly appreciate your input. And like, and it's kind of funny, part of mentioning you getting it before 11 is because um, as we get into the omnipotence of God, one of the things uh, you know uh, people often raise the objection, can God change the past? If you pray, can God change the past? And so, and if he can't, or if he doesn't, uh, does that limit his power? And so um, we're going to look at that a little bit. But that's... Uh, um, uh, but yeah, so that's why I'm uh, part of why I'm here. And so I, I was surprised two years later, I reached out to her and I just said, Hey, uh, I'm going to be in Durango on Tuesday and Wednesday. Would you have any interest in meeting up? And, uh, fortunately she got back to me and said she would. So tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock, we're going to be meeting up. And, um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of excited for that. And I've been traveling all day and this is a total little side note, but I stopped in Flagstaff, uh, Arizona for dinner on my way here. And so if you're ever in Flagstaff, Arizona, you want to eat at Black Bart's. It's a little steakhouse uh, right off the highway. It's kind of in a trailer park. It's kind of its own animal. They kind of have performances. And I, I, I just punched in restaurants on Yelp, and they came up with an advertisement of spend $12, get $25 worth of food. And so I was like, all right, there's a steakhouse. I'm going to go get me a, a steak. Uh, I'll spend the $12 and get $25 in steak or whatever. And I spent a little more than $25. But anyway, Black Bart's, totally worthwhile. It was a good experience. And, oh, one other thing I wanted to address before we uh, get into the Omni attributes, or at least the introduction of it. Um, last week, it was on July 4th, maybe uh, the morning of July 4th, I met up with a, a recent convert that was not converted through me. Uh, pretty interesting testimony. Um, was basically doing a... Uh, was allowing people to couch surf. Um, I, I guess that's a thing. You can hop online and find people who are willing to put you up on their couch for a night. I, <laughs> I sleep in a lot of weird places. I doubt I'm just going to find a stranger off the internet and sleep. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, my operating assumption is going to end well. But um, apparently, you know, they had a couch and they put it up on this thing. And a Christian came through and stayed with them and invited... Um, Ended up inviting them down. They ended up having a discussion, invited them down, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, about nine months later, became a Christian. And we met up on, on July 4th for breakfast. And, and what was amazing to me, and it's, it's one thing i got to keep in mind, even in the context of evangelism. So here's someone who's a believer with very basic information, knows they're a sinner, knows they need a Savior, believes on Jesus. So we start talking. And I just, it's kind of funny because I, I realize how much I assume people know uh, and they did not know the basic chronology of Exodus coming before 
the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and they're actually, they've even were sitting down reading Genesis and Exodus. Um, but yeah, think about it. When I, it, you know, without any Christian context uh, given you, um, you know, three months into being a believer, um, you know, how much biblical chronology do you have and how much historical chronology? Because I was just kind of talking about being Protestant in the Reformation. And uh, then they asked, well, what's that? And then I mentioned like a date. And they're like, well, what's that? And uh, it was just, it was fascinating to me because it really was um, no information. And they're growing, and they're trusting in the Lord, and they are born again, I believe. And uh, But yeah, it was just one of those things that stood out more and more, that when I'm publicly preaching and open-air preaching, um, just how biblically illiterate our culture is. And, you know, so be it. it, it it's the context we have to talk to. We can complain about it, or we can uh, learn to speak to it and bring people to maturity. And that's what we need to learn to do. And we need to learn to speak to people who know very, very little. Um, and even as I was talking to them, they're like, uh, they they had a pretty, they did a lot of wretched things and they were kind of like, uh, well, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I just didn't really know any other way. And, and, and so it was, it was interesting. So keep the gospel simple to people who really know nothing. Think of uh, someone going to kindergarten. If you have any children who are five years old who are going to kindergarten, what do you expect them to know? You're not expecting them to do sixth grade uh, schoolwork. You're expecting them to do kindergarten. And so the unbelievers that we're interacting with, um, it really is kindergarten. Um, and we have to spend some time laying these things out. And it's just become uh, more and more surprising and more and more evident to me uh, the more people I interact with of just that we are woefully big, uh, biblically ignorant. And so I think it's important that we brush on something, uh, a topic like kind of the attributes of God, dealing with his uh, knowledge, his power, and his goodness. Um, because a few months ago, even, and, it, and it, I hear it all the time on campus, do I believe that God is all-knowing? Do I believe that God is all-powerful? Do I believe that God is all-good? And, and then they're like, well, if God's all-powerful and all-good, and there's evil in the world. Um, he either is impotent to do anything about the evil, or he's not good and uh, willing to do something about it. Therefore, there's, there's some sort of problem with uh, God's omnipotence and his omnibenevolence, and especially if he knew beforehand that man was going to rebel, that uh, the people think that it causes all sorts of logical problems uh, for the Christian. And a gentleman by the name uh, Mr. Atherton, I guess he's not a doctor, but he's a professor of philosophy at San Diego State University. And on March 25th, uh, 2019, uh, so about, what is that, two, three months ago, uh, in the New York Times, uh, he posted an opinion piece um, called uh, A God Problem. Perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, the idea of a deity most Westerners accept is actually not coherent. And so in the introductory paragraph, he says, if you look up God in a dictionary, the first entry you will find will be something along the lines of a being believed to be infinitely perfect, wise, and powerful creator, uh, creator and ruler of the universe. Certainly, if applied to non-Western contexts, the definition would be puzzling. But in Western contexts, this is how philosophers have traditionally understood, in quotes, God. In fact, this conception of God is sometimes known as the God of the philosophers. And he basically wants to go on as a philosopher. I want to take issue uh, with these things. And so as Christians, we can say, amen, we, we want to take issue with uh, the God of the philosophers as well. And we want to deal with the God of Revelation. But he thinks that um, that poses no less of a problem. As he says, um, basically after he believes that he's laid out the logical inconsistencies of God's omnipotence, omnibenevolence, and omniscience, he says, uh, it is uh, logical inconsistencies like these 
that led the 17th century French theologian Blaise Pascal to reject reason as a basis for faith and return to the Bible and Revelation. So you see, if you see what he's doing there, um, he's, ju- he's setting uh, reason against Revelation and the Bible. So, you know, yep, there's logical contradictions. We're, we're just going to hop into the realm of the Bible and Revelation and not worry about reason. Whereas as Christians, we believe that uh, Jesus is the Logos, and so the very foundation of reason is rooted in God, and so a coherent picture of, hel- of reality is held in God and the Logos. And so we're going to uh, develop that a little bit, but that's kind of a side. But he goes on to say, It is said that when Pascal died, his servant found sewn into his jacket the words, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob not of the philosophers and scholars. Evidently, Pascal considered there was more wisdom in biblical, and he put wisdom in quotes, in biblical revelation than any philosophical demonstration of God's existence in nature or plain lack thereof. Um, Now, there's obviously a certain sense where we can uh, assent to what Blaise Pascal is doing there, but uh, what we need to do is look at the reality of what the Bible does teach regarding God's power, regarding God's knowledge, and regarding God's uh, goodness, and compare that with the God of the philosophers, because, you know, even which philosopher do we want to talk about? We're going to look a little bit at Descartes and how he treats God's omnipotence, which is going to be different than the way uh, Christians are going to want to treat God's omnipotence. And so uh, there's a, a sense in which we want to say, yep, we disagree with the God of the philosophers. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And tied into last week's uh, podcast, the idea that there are a bunch of other gods— um, so to speak, that the Old Testament does have the other nations with other gods. Um, We, as Christians, we worship and serve the Almighty God. There are other gods with some power. There are other gods who can do some things. Um, But the way the Bible lays out God's power um, is that it's his power. It's not an abstract, you know, so when people ask, can God create a circle triangle, um, uh, you're just like, well, how much power would that take? Uh, that's not an issue of power. It's an issue. It's just a meaningless sort of thing. So we're going to look at that um, because that root, Christianity is rooted in the Logos. We believe that God is reasonable. Um, we believe there are reasons for God. We also believe that God has given us revelation. He's given us the Bible. And we don't see all these things as um, internally incoherent. We actually believe the Bible gives us a coherent picture of reality. So far from uh, being incoherent, we believe that theism uh, is coherent, and we may have to correct aspects of uh, the Western tradition. We may have to correct aspects of uh, the, you know, the God of the philosophers, um, but we still have to deal with the issues of what does the Bible actually teach regarding God's power, regarding God's goodness, and regarding God's knowledge, and is it actually coherent? And I believe ultimately the answer is yes, and we're going to seek to develop that. So next week, uh, if you want, prepare yourself for a look at God's omnipotence and some of the philosophical issues intertwined with that. What we're going to try to do is uh, root that squarely in the Bible, and we're going to be interacting um, with with this article. So you you can even just Google it. Uh, As I said, March 25th uh, in the New York Times, it's an opinion, just as a God problem, perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing. The idea of the deity most Westerners accept is actually not coherent by Peter Adderton. So look that up, read it, see if there's anything. And even if you are to read that this week and there's anything particular that stands out to you, feel free to uh, contact me or email me, keith at campuspreacher.com or on the Twitter, campus preacher campus evangel i'm campus evangel on twitter uh, and just kind of point out the the part that you might uh want dissected but yeah we're gonna just go through the has um his power um his goodness his knowledge and then kind of tie it all up and show why adderton's actually wrong and christian theism stands 
So those are the next few podcasts. So thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your prayers uh, for today now or tomorrow, depending on when you listen to this. Hopefully you listen to it before 11 a.m. because I am of the persuasion that God's omnipotence does not mean he can change the past. And so uh, once 11 o'clock, you can still pray for B uh, even after it. But if you're going to be praying for my meeting with her, I'd greatly appreciate it. So may the Lord bless you. Keep you. Any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to contact me at Keith at CampusPreacher.com or at Campus Evangel on the Twitter. And we'll talk to you next week. God bless you. that he might see you grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow.